Hello and welcome to the Mental Sweet Spot Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and strategies for coaching the mental game of softball. I'm Melanie Rushing, and I'll be joined shortly by Alicia Smith and a brand new guest to discuss one of our favorite topics, competing. He's a professional speaker and the chief encouragement officer at Compete Every Day, a brand he started in 2011 by first selling t-shirts out of the trunk of his car. His first book, Compete Every Day, released June 1st of this year, has been sold in six different countries just so far. He works with organizations around the country teaching how they can develop accountability, mental resilience, and leadership skills in order to make bigger impacts in their careers and in their life. He's also got a podcast if you're looking for more audio inspiration, same name, Compete Every Day, and he definitely brings energy, so I cannot wait to bring him to you today. So without further ado, please welcome from Compete Every Day, Jake Thompson. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Excited to hang out today. I, I need to take you with me like everywhere, like that introduction, like I just want to take you and have you do that intro like when I enter rooms, like that would be what I would like introducing me walking into places, much less stages. So excited to have some fun today. Awesome. Yeah, I got you. I can do that for you. A little okay. recording. <laughs> All right, let's kick things off telling our listeners a little bit more about your journey and specifically how you got to this slogan of compete every day. Cause that's like in our hearts, what Alicia and I love. It is. It's, and it's in my blood as well. You know, I grew up in East Texas. Uh, normally, if you think of Texas high school sports, you're thinking football, Friday Night Lights. That was me. My hometown was about 13,000 people in the sticks of East Texas. And so I grew up just loving football, loving playing baseball. Uh, I ran a little bit of track, you know, field day and things like that. But for me, it was football. And I was a smaller kid. Uh, now I laugh, I'm six foot 185, but my senior year of high school, I was like 5'10", 150. Uh, so not really the size you want for your starting quarterback. And so I learned very early on that if I was going to play, I had to outwork guys and outsmart guys. And that's what I really loved about competition is didn't matter who you were, where your dad worked, how much money you had, how cool you were in the in crowd, like you had to be able to show up on the field. And so I just became obsessed with competition to prove that I would outwork you and outsmart you because I wanted to play more than you did. And it drove me. Um, it frustrated me with teammates who had incredible physical talents and just didn't put in the work. And, and I just never understood it, but I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be better than they are. Like, screw that. They've got talent. I'm going to go. And the problem with that is the older I got, the more obsessed with competition I became in life outside of sports. Like I really had this narrow mindset that life was always me versus you. And the problem with that is you really get into this constant comparison state. And the problem with comparisons, there's always someone ahead of you and there's always someone behind you. We're all running different races and you end up in investing, when I say spending all of your controllables, which is your focus, attitude, effort, um, and actions every day on distracted by things outside of that control, what someone else is doing, what they're saying, how they're training. And it really just screws you up. And so for me, it kind of screwed me up pretty good mentally in terms of focused everywhere, depleted. And so I got into my mid twenties or early twenties. I was out of shape. I hadn't played in college because I'd gotten hurt. I, I dealt with the whole fallout of, of sports ending early for me and just kind of was in a tailspin. And some incidents happened and a friend encouraged me and spoke life into me and, and pretty much directed me down a new path. And I started reading this book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And in the book, the author talks about the importance of story. And the way we live our lives is the story we tell others of what's important, 
and what legacy we leave behind. And, and he talked about how great movies, great books, always have a character that steps into conflict so they don't take the easy road. They have a purpose and mission bigger than themselves, and they want others to join in them. So you think about Lord of the Rings to The Notebook to whatever. Like Everybody's put into an uncomfortable situation, the power of relationships and pursuing something bigger. And I realized my life story sucked. And I was like, I got to change it. What do I need to change about it? Like, I need to stop worrying about what everyone else is doing. And I need to start pursuing greatness myself. And so that's really kind of the, the foundation is this idea of pursuing my best in every area of my life. Well, me being a competitive guy, I'm trying to figure out outlets for this, how to best tell that message. And I threw out this idea of compete every day to two buddies on a ski trip. And they were like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, like competing against your own self every day. Like you show up, do your best every day. Can I do better than I did the day before? And they were like, well, that, that fits you perfectly. So we think you should go with it. And so I spent six to eight months tinkering with the, the brand and the project, trying to figure out what kind of business it was going to be before eventually settling on apparel and buying a couple of boxes of shirts and tanks and hustling them out of the back of my car almost 10 years ago now. By the way, everyone, you need to go check out his apparel too, because it is awesome. I've got my eye on a couple of shirts already. So be prepared for that order coming in. Um, so now transition to the book. Tell us a little bit yeah. about what inspired you to write it and like, give us an outline of what to expect. Yeah. So really my team had been on me for like five or six years to write a book. And I had gone through what every single person listening to this show has done at some point in their life in dealing with this idea of imposter syndrome. Like we all as high achievers feel like someone's going to find us out or we're not qualified or we're not good enough to do that. We have that internal battle. And for me, it was on writing the book. Other people have written the book. Why am I going to say it? I haven't done anything, you know, amazing. Like I haven't been homeless. It's the same story I had to, to battle going into the speaking world. And so they were on me, they were on me. And eventually we decided to change our company from just apparel to what it is now, more of a media type brand. And so I started to outline the book and set on it. And, and then finally in 2019, actually, first part of the year, I had three different speaking opportunities that the event planner came back to me and said, we love you. We love this message. But the CEO wants to hire somebody with a book. They, they saw a speaker with a book in a different status. And at that point, it was like I'd been making excuses for five years. That was my, hey, let's have a competition. Like I said, okay, great. I'll see you next year. And so opening, days, opening day of baseball season, I sat down at the computer. I put a sticky note. It's like March 22nd. I said, I will have this book done by game one of the World Series. And, or that was October 22nd. So like March 31st, October 22nd. Posted it on Facebook, posted it on Instagram, hold me accountable, set a word count, and just said go. And so I started working on the book, wrote 45,000 words, finished it early May, hated it, hated it, hated it. It was corporate. It was not, it didn't flow. Something didn't fit. And so I, I kind of just stopped. I got away from it, started like, eh, do I really want to do this book? I've written all this, don't know got asked to speak to a group of middle school and high school students through Big Brothers and Big Sisters organization. And I started thinking about those kids. I said, man, these are seven to 17 year olds, but I also have 30 to 60 year old bigs in the room too. How can I tell them like, if, 
easiest possible way, what are the seven to eight things, if you did these every day, you would excel. It wouldn't be easy, it wouldn't be perfect, you wouldn't win every time, but over the long game, you'd excel. So I started sketching them out, like seven choices. And then I looked at the book and thought, crap, this is the new book. And so I had to scrap about 40,000 words and start over and keep working it. And I tell everyone, that's like doing a workout as hard as you can, finishing the round, putting the bar down, finishing the last sprint, getting ready to go grab some water. And the coach walks over and said, hey, you did four rounds, there's five. And you just mentally do not want to start again. Like you stare at the bar, you look at the track, you're like, uh uh-uh. And so you just have to force yourself to do it. And so that for me was that forcing myself to do it. And really the book is about the things in sports that we know as athletes, that we've heard all of our lives, that we apply. They also work in life. Like I made the mistake of believing they're different worlds, that in sports, if you work hard, if you compete, if you show up, if you're a great teammate, like you're going to succeed. You may not be the star player, but if you give your absolute best effort, train your butt off, you can be an incredibly valuable piece of that team. And we see it in sports all the time. Somebody comes off the bench that nobody's ever heard of that hasn't played all year, hits the game winning shot, contributes valuably and goes down in school history. Like we see those every single time. But in life, I thought it was about lucky breaks and special connections and talent and the things that we can believe seeing social media. And so I wanted to write the book to say, sports is just like life. And if you apply these seven choices in life, like you would in sports, you're going to succeed. Um, And I just had to get it out there in hopes that someone really 15 to 50 doesn't make the same mistakes I did because you're just losing time by believing that lie. I think that's what's so cool about your story is that and you framed your seven choice you framed them as seven choices right not just seven things to do but seven choices because a lot of you know we talk a lot about this on the podcast I talk about this with my players everything you have choices in everything you do right including the reaction to you know bubble ball right on the field so I love the idea of choices because that it gives them that's how you empower your athletes right for to realize that that's really kind of their journey right so yeah I mean when you own your choice I was about to say when you say that like that's how you empower the athlete when they understand they have power to make the choice that therein lies some power then they're empowered and more confident in what they do because they see like it's not I'm not just doing what somebody tells me to Right. And that, and that's kind of where I think sometimes, you know, we talk a lot about too, small, small mental adjustments or small adjustments make big impacts. So when you can just even take probably one of those seven choices, right. And start changing the way you think every single day that would lead into bigger, big changes that you can really, you know, you can see right on the field, off the field and, and everything you do. Without a doubt. And the one line I try to refer to all the time in the book is the can't see choices we make every day create the can't miss results over time. And, and it's not even just on the positive side, like the choice, the first chapter is about outworking your talent, like the importance of effort in relation to talent and why we see incredibly talented athletes every year fall off and not excel. And they're passed by people that you're like, that's who beat you? Like that person? because they had stronger effort, more consistent drive, and they put in the work over time. But it works on the reverse side too, like the the talent thing. If you choose to believe your talent's gonna go and get you places and you're not gonna work hard, 
Well, in high school, you may not notice that difference. You still excel because you just have some talent and you're able to go. But once you get to college, everybody's at that same talent level. You're going to get smoked because all of those other players that were at your talent level, maybe even below it or some above it, were putting in that work. And so it's really those can't see shifts we make. The importance of visualization, of controlling your breathing, of, of all the things that you talk about, of just applying one and consistently working at it. When you feel like you've gotten good at it, don't settle and stop doing it. Keep working at it, but then you can start to layer in something else because it's becoming a little more second habit and, and nobody else notices it in the moment. But over time, they can't help but notice what you're doing now and how you're responding. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, we talk about responsibility, making choices, like taking ownership. This is right up our alley. So I want to hear the rest of these choices. The floor is yours. Yeah, yeah. so uh, outwork your talents, the first one. Uh, never letting the hard days win is number two. So how do we handle adversity? It's inevitable in life. Do we choose to see the obstacle or the opportunity in that moment? And how do we keep showing up? And so we, that one, especially we talk about the midnight rule, which I took from a, a pro, former pro baseball player um, and how he responded game to game, inning to inning, pitch to pitch of letting those bad breaks go. Like this is how he tried to reset. Um, so never let the hard days win one. Embrace the process. This is the one, this is off season workouts to a T. Are you showing up, doing the work, putting forth your best effort when a game is so far away you can't even think about it at that point. But does that determine how hard you show up, how hard you train, and are you working to get better? Uh, the importance of your starting lineup. Uh, and I, the analogy I use in this is around basketball because in basketball, you have five on the court. Jim Rohn famously said, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And a lot of times as, as kids, as adults, we aren't intentional with who we invest most of our time with. And when we fail to do that, we fail to realize we're either being sharpened or dulled. And the last thing we want to do is, is turn out to be a butter knife at the end of the day because we're not really worth that much versus like a sharp steak knife. And so we talk about the importance of relationships and the three people to find and the three people to avoid. And you're going to see them on your teams. You're going to recognize these people in your life. And how do you start to move away from them? So those are big ones. Uh, the importance of leadership and personal responsibility from an action standpoint. True leadership is about leading with your life and not just your lips. It's great to be the person that talks in the huddle and to everybody. You want to be that encourager. But if you're not following through with how you act, all those words are just falling on deaf ears because nobody's paying attention to you. Um, the importance of always doing your best, whether you want to be in that position or not, whether the coach says you got a bunt today, like I want you to bunt. You're like, no, 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 I want to swing. I don't want to, I don't want to get out. I don't want to sacrifice to move someone in position. That's going to hurt my average. No, you always show up, do your best. When you're starting out on your first job as an adult, nobody loves their internship. You're doing grunt work. You're getting coffee. You're probably not even getting paid, but it's showing up, doing your best on those little things and those moments you don't want to be there that put you in a position to be able to do what you want down the road. And so we talk about how to always do your best. Um, and then we talk about from a leadership standpoint, within a locker room, within a boardroom, and within a life, it's not about how many people you get to follow you. It's not about how many people accumulate your following on social media. It's about how are you impacting and investing in the people that do follow you now, the teammates you have. How are you as a junior, senior investing in the freshmen and sophomores? Quit worrying about them taking your starting position and start saying, how can I help them get better because they're going to make me better. They're going to make our team better. And if I ever got hurt, 
someone on our team got hurt and they're called on and we never invested in them, we're screwed as a team. So how am I as a leader investing in other people to be leaders too? And all of those things, every one of those choices is 100% up to us every day. A lot of times we dismiss it and think, well, you know, it just happened this way or I just did this. No, like we have a choice to outwork our talent, to not let bad days break us, to invest in our teammates. And so the first part of the book is like understanding what those choices are. And then at the end of the book, I include takeaways. Like here's how you do it in your training. Here's how you do it in your career. Here's how you do it in life. Because I wanted you to see exact examples of here's something easy to start doing with this one choice that over the course of time is gonna add up to exponential results for you. I, th I love the part about, it, it's basically your personal culture, what, what I would call your personal culture and who you surround yourself with, right? So I love that you're the average of the, of the five closest people you have around you because I, I know in my life that is so true. And, it's, and it has to be very intentional of kind of who, who you pick and choose, right? Mel being one of those people, right? She's like, she's an awesome friend, awesome business partner, just an awesome individual. And that's what I love about her. But when I, when I go back to, to what you said, there's, there's three people that you can kind of eliminate and three people you can choose. I almost think it's easier to pick the people you eliminate, right? Than, than to choose. So how did you go about choosing those three people for you? Yeah. So really some of it was spending time with the people and noticing, being more self-aware of their traits being aware of the conversations we were having, being aware if they were going to hold me accountable or not. Um, the ones to avoid are, like you said, they're easy to find. The yes men, they're convenient to hang out with, but they always agree with us and just want to be accepted. The excuse makers and the envious ones. And a lot of times we tend to hang on to the envious people more than any's because they like to talk about everyone else, but eventually they're going to be envious of our own success. And if we're the someone that's putting in the work, trying to do better, eventually that relationship is going to struggle. And so the three to identify to, to avoid is really easy to identify. But like you said, the ones to find are tougher. And so the way I break it down is to find the person that's willing to challenge you. That's not going to just tell you what you want to hear, but sometimes what you need to hear. The friend that actually loves you enough to hold you accountable. That's a big one. Uh, the person that encourages you. So you don't want that person that's always just challenging you and won't encourage you. And it's finding the one that like, hey, I know you had a bad day. Let's talk about it. Like, let me encourage you. And then tomorrow it's like, you need to raise the game. Like I'm going to challenge you to do that. And the third piece that I talk about in it is find the people that are going to remind you of who you say you want to be. And this one I think is incredibly important because who we tell others we want to be sometimes doesn't align with our actions. And we need those people that challenge us and encourage us to get back on track with that. And for me, it was finishing up grad school I was quitting what I thought was a dream career. So mentally that took a toll on me. I was, I had a relationship just ended uh, that I was cheated on that I, you know, was in love with the girl that took a toll on me. And, and I kind of started to crawl into a bottle essentially during the end of grad school where we just go out and drink every night and on the weekends. And for me, breaking point, I still laugh is probably it's funny now, but like my old roommate came home one day from class cause he took it on a different night. And I'm sitting on the coffee table at like 1030 at night. I have a hat on. I have sunglasses on. I have a handle of vodka next to me. Like picture that scene. And then, oh, by the way, I'm playing Guitar Hero. Like just jamming out old school rock. And I would just kind of take a swig. And he walks in and opens the door. And I still remember 
his face to this day. And it's like part like, what is this? And part of like, oh, this is rock bottom. And so he sits down beside me and says, I'll play games with you tonight for the next bit. But tomorrow we talk. And tomorrow morning, he pretty much kind of piled into me and was like, listen, you've said you want to do all these things with your life. I know certain things haven't worked out, but these other things still can. However, how you're living doesn't align with that. Like you say you want to be this type of person, but this type of person doesn't do these things. But I know you have it in you. Like, I know you can do all those things, but you have to change how you're living or you have to change who you say you want to be. And I don't believe you want to change who you say you want to be. And so we had to have that hard discussion, but like that was a pivotal change point in my life of the person that spoke life into me, challenged me, and then just said, hey, listen, you've been saying this is who you want to be. Go be it. Like we need those people to ever bring out who we're going to be and what our true potential is and hold us accountable when we get off track on that. Leads perfectly into what I was going to ask next. (laughs) I was about to say, I can see Mel's face laughing, imagining this whole guitar hero scene. Like, it's still hilarious to me, but like, he and I will laugh about it. He was like, oh yeah, that was, that was bad. I was like, yeah, I know. But you know, we have to have those people in our life that say, let's go and pull you up and keep going. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like what we as coaches want to be as leaders want to be for our players and for everyone around us. We want to be able to hold them accountable to, but I love how your friend did it. Like in a way that was like, I'm not judging you, but this is the wrong choice. <laughs> like this is the wrong yeah. path. I, well, I know and, you can get off it. And, and the reason he was able to do that is because I knew he cared about me. And the one thing that over the last, you know, four years, three years, having podcast conversations with coaches, and you know this, and your listeners know this, if you can get to a player's heart, you can get to their head. If they know you care about them, they're willing to listen to anything else. They know you're going to hold them accountable and to challenge them because they know you care first. And, And there was a big uproar last year during March Madness when Tom Izzo was yelling at a player and he and the player yelling at each other. And then the media made this huge hype about it. And the player afterwards is like, no, like coach has my back. Like he knew I messed up in that moment was holding me accountable. And I was upset. Like we're good, like no issues whatsoever. And you can only do that and and have those upfront challenging conversations when they know you care. And so investing in that player, investing in that teammate, and that's what you have to have as teammates. Like you have to invest in those players, know about them, know them personally, what's going on in school, what's going on in life to know they care, that you care about them before you challenge them for taking a playoff. Like that, they're going to put back on. But if they know you have their best interest at heart, they're in. Alicia, I thought for sure you were going to come into that one with Izzo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I understand that fundamentally because I've maybe not in that fashion or on national TV, but I mean, you know, I've really gotten in players' faces too. But uh, and we've had hard conversations, but like you said, the whole point, the whole reason that, that I can do that is that we have built that relationship and trust in, in the beginning. And, and I think that there's no, no better feeling as a coach to, to see the light bulb moment or to have kids, you know, turn around or be able to do something and, and run, run through a wall for you. Right. And for their teammates, because they've built that trust and they've built that together. So yeah, I, I've gotten on a lot of kids. I mean, I, 
some of these some of these conversations we've had have not been pretty or or there has been moments where I snapped on the field and get right on them for something that I know that they're better than but again building that trust is is key and if I really like how you said it Jake if you can get to a player's heart you can get to a player's head and you know, but they get to mine too. And the awesome thing about the relationship I have with my kids is they can come right back at me and tell me, coach, you're not being tough enough on us, or we need, we need the old coach back. You know, we've talked about that before, or, or you know, just step it up coach, uh, which is awesome. And, and that goes both ways. I think it really does. Well, and that, that just speaks to the culture being built there. Like that's what's so there's personal responsibility and ownership across the board like that. They know you're willing to listen to them and own up if you fall short and make the corrections, which means they have to as well. Um, and I think that's key. Like I had the experience on the player side of, I just had a bad day at practice. Like mentally I was kind of out of it. Wasn't hitting passes I normally would. And my quarterback coach who I consider like the closest second father I had growing up, like ripped me. And I was like wanting to quit football that day. I was like, that was the worst I'd ever been ripped. And I, I got home. I was like, screw this. You know, I don't want any part of it. And the next day he just said, Hey, he pulled me aside. He said, Hey, I was really hard on you yesterday. I shouldn't have been that hard. He said, I expect more out of you and I need you to step up how you show up. And I was like, cool. I'm in, let's go. And, but it was that him not just completely dismissing it and saying, you know, you better be better today. It was him saying, hey, listen, I was probably a little too much, but here's why is because I expect this out of you. And you just can't have those dynamics in a locker room, in a coach-player relationship without knowing that you have each other's best interests at heart. You both want to win, but I care about you as a person more than that. And that's what changes locker rooms and teams and, and really players, coaches' careers. Absolutely. I have also done that where you just go and you know I screwed up guys I really ripped you a new one and you know what looking back on it you, you didn't quite deserve the tone but it was what's been, because they also know I'm a super emotional coach so they know when that comes out they know it comes from a place of love and care for them and and but I'm also know that sometimes I can get too emotional or too get on them too much you know and you can see it in their faces and how they react but I, I appreciate that about your coach as well. Like you just own up to it. Look, we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And I sure as heck don't expect you to be perfect, but you know, building that relationship, Jake, I, I just, I can't say that enough to coaches. And, and a lot of people will say, well, how do you do that? And I think the most biggest thing we've talked about on this podcast is just being yourself, like not trying to do it like somebody else. Nobody can do it like me and I can't do it like anybody else. But when I try to do something different, one, the kids know, they call me out on it. And two, it's, it doesn't feel right. So I think it's just, just being who you are and being vulnerable in front of them sometimes and admitting those mistakes. Yeah, no. And, and that, that hits the nail on the head of, of being yourself. I mean, I talk to a lot of corporate teams and it's the same process for them of like trying to get to employees' hearts. And players are the same way. Like a coach, when you have new players come in and new people you work with, they don't know you. They don't know if you care about them. They don't know anything. And so you actually have to invest not only in getting to know them outside of sports, like getting to know more about them as a person. Like, tell me about your family. Like, talk to me about these things. Because eventually, you, as a coach, you want them to be able to come to you with big things that have nothing to do with what happens on the field. Because a lot of the times that's what they need is they need someone in their life that they can come to and have this talk that isn't a parent that they trust, especially in sports. And so talking to them and, and getting to know them and asking them questions like remembering things are huge. 
And then especially, we know this, the importance of, of praising the, the controllables, the things in their control, not necessarily how many hits did you get today, but like, how, how were you in the cage? I saw your effort. I saw how hard you were playing. I saw when you went over and picked up your teammate after they had a mess up. Like, in little kids, this is so incredibly important because they begin to associate the effort and the things in their control with, with good versus just the outcome, which creates a whole other psychological dynamic in them as adults. But really, like, as coaches, that's for us to set the bar of, like, how can I get to know you? How can I invest in you personally? How can you know I care? And then how can I praise you on the things that really matter beyond sports that once you put down the glove and the bat and the cleats and everything else, you keep busting your tail, encouraging each other, showing up every day when you're not motivated to do the work. Because I know you're going to look back one day and be like, man, I learned all this playing ball. And this has changed my life. <sighs> Okay, we could stop there and there's like eight mic drop moments. But we'll wrap it up with the question we usually end with is, okay, now, aside from go buy the book, folks, go get the book. Uh, what is one piece of advice you would give coaches to help them reinforce this culture and help their kids live these things? Yeah, I think the biggest thing in terms of reinforcing it is to talk about it, communicate it more. A lot of times we'll put it up on a poster in a locker room or in a coach's office, and that's about as much as a company's mission statement on the wall. People see it, they walk by it, they don't really care about it. But when you talk about it, when you, when you say, hey, listen, if you were to put the seven choices of, of, from the book on a poster on the wall and say, this is who we are, then when you're in the weight room, you're not just talking to the star players, but you're walking over to the kid that's probably never going to start, but bust their butt every day. And you praise them. And for, I love how hard you work. Like you set a tone for how hard you work. Players, you need to watch this. We praise the person that's encouraging and showing up. We over communicate. This is what's important. And we also do it with, with each other and the other coaches in front of the players. This is something like from a parenting standpoint, they talk about of like, the way uh, one spouse treats another in front of the kids is how the kids learn to interact and eventually treat their future spouses. Players are the same way. If coaches speak to each other that same way where they're encouraging each other, they're challenging each other, they're reinforcing the values and messages, players continue to pick up on that. So it's not just coach to player to reinforce it and, and talk about what's important. It's coach to coach so that it's always top of line. And the, and the beauty of sports is we have shared language within our locker rooms. The catchphrases y'all use are different than catchphrases I grew up using than, than this team. So how do we make sure the phrases we're continually saying reinforce the messages on the wall and that we're living through day after day after day? And then it's just keep telling it, keep hammering it. And coaches, you may be frustrated that my kids are not getting this certain message. But I assure you, if you keep repeating it, somewhere along the way, someone like me is going to be speaking at an event and these kids could be in their 20s. And I'm going to say something that's almost the same way you used to say it with the slight tweak. And the kid's going to be like, holy crap. My coach used to tell me something like that all the time growing up. And it's just like a parent that's going to tell a kid a lesson for 10 to 15 years. And then a teacher or a friend says it and the kid suddenly gets it. But they've heard it so much that they know it's important. So coaches, just over communicate it with your players with each other, live it every single day. We know the importance of consistency from training and showing up. It's the same with communication. We gotta be talking about it all the time, every day. 
great stuff, right? It's so nice to hear the things we've been preaching to you guys for a while said in just a slightly different way. Go check out his book and podcast, hire him as a speaker. This guy is our people. And that is it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, we'd truly appreciate if you shared the show with a coach that you think would enjoy it too. And if you're really feeling generous, head to the podcast player of your choice and give us a review. Five Little Stars can help us reach more coaches like you and help us build our club of sweet spotters, all to make a bigger impact together. If you have any questions, comments, or guest requests at any time, please feel free to reach out to me at mel at mentalsweetspot.com or shoot me a message on Twitter at Coach Mel Rushing. Thank you again for joining us. We'll see you next week. Have a good one.